And if you brought your Bible, I want you to open up to Psalm 150. It's the very last one. So find Psalms and then just go to the end of it. It's right in the middle of the book. It's 581 on my Bible and 510 in Joe's. So there's a little help. Dr. Ray just has one page on his iPhone. Snooty McSnooter. Mr. iPhone. Yeah, um, I'll tell you what. Let's read this together this morning. How about it? Can we do this together? Okay, I know it's... Hey, Raymond, will you just take it off of there? There we go. I hope you brought a Bible because we're going to read it together. And I realize... Look, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm well aware that everyone in here has a different translation, okay? I don't care. Let's just read it together in a nice nice loud voice. Here we go, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with strings and flute. Praise Him with the crash of the cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's all right, huh? Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. Can anybody tell me what this psalm is about? <laughs> Apparently, it's about, praise, about praising the Lord. You see, it's, the psalm is six verses long, and, and 13 times in six verses, there is, is, the, is the command to praise the Lord. Not only that, but, this is, um, but Psalm 150, we'll do just a little Bible lesson here for a minute before we get into the main part of the message. Um, psalm 150 is the last psalm in the book, but it's the last psalm of a, of a smaller collection of songs called the Hallelujah Psalms, or the Halal Psalms. And it's the last five. So if you turn back in your Bible to Psalm 146, okay, go ahead and do it. We're, gonna, we're just going to do Bible lesson right here, okay? You'll, you'll be extra smart before you leave. So, so Psalm, starting in Psalm 146, everybody look at your Bible, and, and what, is it, what does Psalm 146 begin with? Okay, look at the end of Psalm 146. What does it end, end with? Okay, turn to Psalm 147. Look at the beginning and the end. Praise the Lord, right? So the last five psalms of the book of Psalms, they're the hallelujah psalms, they're the, they're the praise the Lord psalms. They begin and end with praise the Lord. And I'm sure most of you guys know this, but hey, maybe some of you guys don't, so we'll just, we're, we're going to cover some really basic Bible here for a second. Uh, does everybody in here, everybody in here realizes that that, that hallelujah is just the Hebrew for praise the Lord, right? It's, it's two words. Halal meaning to praise, and then that little ending on the, on the back there, Yah, which is God's personal name. It's, it's a shortened version of God's personal names. So it's, it's hallelujah, hal, hal, halal, and then Yah from Jehovah or Yahweh. So it's just the combination of those two. It means praise the Lord. And, but here's the deal. Here's what I really wanted to get to on this. Was, here's what halal means. Here's what that little root word means. Okay? It doesn't just mean praise the Lord. It's actually way more, um, it's, it's way more, it's got a broader vista than that. Okay? 
I want to read to you what, what halal actually means. This is what it means. It means to shine. It means to make a show. It means to boast. This is the part I really like. It means to be clamorously foolish. It means to rave, and it means to celebrate. See, it's not just praise the Lord. The, the kind of praise that, that the writer is getting at here, he's getting at, he's getting at the kind of praise that's, that, that, that when, when we come before the Lord, we should shine, we should boast, we should, we should rave, and we should be clamorously foolish in celebrating who he is. It's better. And um, so here's what I want you to do here before we get going much further. I want you to think about yourself raving, boasting, celebrating, and being clamorously foolish before the Lord. Not some other guy. I want you to think about your own self being, being a raving, mad, clamorously foolish, celebratory d- person. Because when you hear that, the, the temptation is to believe, well, I'll let someone else do that. Or, you know, or that's, that, that's just in the Bible. That was, you know, that was David. He got naked. He danced before the Lord. Clamorously foolish, you know? But the command is, the command is for everybody here in the center purple chair to be that kind of person. And, and some of you, I can kind of hear it already. Some of you might be thinking, well, that's just not me. That's not me. I've got a question. How many of you guys and, and ladies, how many of you all were, how many of you all were raving Clamorously foolish, celebratory, lunatics last Sunday when DeMarcus Cousins tips in the game-saving basket with the tenth of a second. I thought our house was going to come apart. I'm not joking. We jumped off the couch. I was certain that we broke my mom's couch. How many of y'all know my mom? How many of y'all know my mom's not a loud person? How many of you know my mom was shouting so much that it hurt my ears in, in that moment? So if you're thinking, I'm not the kind of person who's raving, I'm not the kind of person who's clamorously foolish, I'm not the kind of person who's given to fits of celebration, I just want to tell you, you're lying. Because you are. We've all seen it. And that's the kind of praise that the Lord deserves. How many of you, how many of you guys realize this? That everyone responds to their passions. Everyone responds to their passions. I, I've just seen it in all kinds of people. Everyone responds to their passions. Here's the other thing. One of the main things I want to get to today is that praise is the correct response to anything amazing. It flows out of people responding to their passions. You, you will respond to your passions every time. The thing that captures your heart, you will respond to your passions. Not only that, but praise is the appropriate, not just the appropriate, but it's the correct response to anything amazing. Um, my middle son, Seth, about a month and a half ago, um, well, let me, it started longer than that, but my middle son, Seth, um, he started wrestling back in the fall. We didn't know if he'd like it. We just took him. He started liking it. Who knew? We take him to the university. He goes over there. They just steamroll each other for like an hour and a half. They come home. Who knew? He was going to love it. But anyway, about a month and a half ago, we take Seth to his first wrestling tournament. And, we, and Heather takes him to Louisville. And this wrestling tournament, there's over 400 kids. And all of these kids have been wrestling for a long time, okay? They have a culture of wrestling. I don't know if you know this or not, but Campbellsville does not have a culture of wrestling. 
We have a culture of baseball and basketball. That's what rules here. We don't wrestle, you know. And um, so Heather takes him up to Louisville, and Seth wins his weight division. First tournament he's ever been in. Everyone else has like the headgear, the singlet, and the special Asics shoes that are like really cool looking. They look like moon boots. Seth has on his t-shirt, his like big Nike pants, and he's barefoot. I mean, he was, he was so redneck. He was, and he was steamrolling these guys. How many of you know that when Seth won his wrestling tournament, we praised? I praised him to his face, and I praised everyone who would let me have their ear for a second for the next two weeks. I told everyone about my son. Why? Because it was amazing. We've got it on video. I should have brought it this morning. He's wrestling kids who were much bigger than him, taking them down, pinning them to the mat. I mean, he even wrestled a girl and took her straight down and just (laughs) abused her. You get in the mat with him, you're going down, you know? See, here's the deal. Praise is always the appropriate, not appropriate, the correct response for anything amazing. How many of you guys realize that when my, my oldest son, River, when River won the speech meet and he won the spelling bee and he won the science fair, how many of you know we praised? I praised him to his face and I tell everybody I can. See, it's the amazing, anything amazing, you, everybody in here, everybody in here responds to their passions. Everyone in here praises what they hold and what they value as amazing. Everyone in here, this is, this is a word from our first worship leader, Eric Kirshen. Everyone is a worshiper. Bob Dylan says this way. you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. It's true. Eric Kirshen used to say this all the time. Everybody worships something. You think, well, that's not me. I'm not clamorously foolish. I'm not, I don't rave about anything. Keep telling yourself. It's an absolute lie. See, everybody here is a worshiper. The question is, what holds your heart's affections? What holds your heart's affections? Can I tell you what would be just tragic beyond all words? It would be tragic beyond all words to live 70 or 80, or if you're like, got really good genes, to live 90 or 95 years. It would be tragic beyond words to live for 70, 80, or 90 years and miss the, most, miss the, single, the single most stunning reality in all the universe. It would, be a, it would be an absolute tragedy to live 70, 80, 90 years and miss the single most stunning reality in all the universe. And that reality is that there is a God in heaven and that he's abundantly good. That he is abundantly good to me. He's been abundantly good to you. You might be the most abused person in the room. And I want to tell you something that's, that's bigger than your abuse. God is good and he has been good to you. It would be a darn shame to miss, to miss the single most stunning reality in all the universe. That there is a God in heaven. That he is abundantly good. That he has been abundantly good to me. Not only that, but he's got new mercies every single morning. You know, I, I loved what Ray had to say a couple weeks ago. The mercies are new every morning. He's been, he, there's a God in heaven. He is abundantly good. He's been abundantly good for, to me. He provides new mercies every single morning for every single person. 
Not only that, but he gave me life. Not only that, I chose death, but he was, he was so insistent that I would have life that he gave me life at the most incredible cost that life could come, his one and only son. It gets even better. See, then, he, then he filled me with himself. And when he filled me with himself, he gave me, he gave me a future and a hope and he gave me a destiny. And he didn't just give me a future, a hope, and a destiny, but he gave me, he gave me, he gave me the abilities to fulfill my future, my hope, and my destiny. See, it would be a darn shame to live 70, 80, 90, 95 years and miss the single most stunning reality in the universe. There is a God in heaven. He has been abundantly good to me. We just need to sit on that for a second. Because if you miss this, you will never, never, never enter in to the thing that's most unique to human beings. Not only that, but he set me in a family. And he calls me his son calls me his daughter. Not me, but you. See, God, God is abundantly good. This is, this, is the, this is the little stream that worship, this is the little, the little river that the worship boat sails on. It's the goodness of God. There is a God. He has been radically good to me. If you don't ever get to that, you will never set your worship sail. If you never set your worship sail, you have tragically missed. You've missed life. See, here's the deal. The person, the person who misses this, the person who misses this, the person whose life lacks praise is the person who is utterly divorced from reality. If I can say it that way. The person who lacks praise in their life is utterly and completely divorced from all reality. Because reality begins with, there is a God in heaven. He has been tragically good to me. And when you miss, when you miss that boat, when you, when, you, when you become a person who's utterly divorced from that reality, the door to deception in your life has swung wide open. Because you are a worshiper. Every single person is a worshiper. The question this morning is, what holds my heart's affections? And if you become divorced from the ultimate reality that there is a God and that he is good and he has affections toward me, then you have allowed the door to deception to be swung wide open in your life and any and every kind of thing will come pouring through. See, lie. See, here's the deal. You're not just a person, but you're a container. You're going to hold something. It's the way humans were made. See, God designed you to contain himself. To the extent that you do not contain himself, you will contain something. It will be filled. There is not an empty person. You're either full of him or you're full of something else. I've never met an empty person. Even people who come into my office ball their eyes out and tell, them, tell me that they're empty. After we talk for a few minutes, they're actually quite full. Maybe you've met them. Maybe you are one. 
and you're welcome in my office. You can tell me that lie and then we'll get to the, we'll get to the real reality of whatever it is you're filled with. So Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Verse one there, praise the Lord. You know, here's the deal. Praise belongs to God. The affections of the heart, they belong to God. You know, sometimes I hear people tell me things like this. Well, you know, I, I, really, I really got a lot out of worship. Conversely, other people will tell me, you know, I really didn't get much out of worship. The whole time I'm thinking, wow, I didn't know it was for you. I would, dang, I didn't even know that. The, the question here in the vineyard is, you know, not is, did I get something out of worship or did I not get something out of worship? The real issue is, did he get anything out of worship? I mean, come on. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise him in his sanctuary and praise him in his mighty heavens. I love this. It's poetry that teaches. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. That word sanctuary, that, brings, that, that word sanctuary can also mean praise him in his holy place or his most holy place. It depends on where you look in the Bible. Sometimes it's translated a couple different ways. But that word sanctuary, it brings to mind the temple. Everybody remember the temple in the Old Testament? There was a temple, okay? They went to worship there. They would build it. Every, every, every hundred years or so, some army would come in and knock it down. Then a couple hundred years after that, they would rebuild it. But the temple was essentially, it looked like this. It was like rectangles inside of rectangles. So if you can imagine a big rectangle with a smaller rectangle inside of it, and then inside of that rectangle, a much smaller rectangle. The smallest rectangle had an even smaller rectangle inside of it. I'm being sort of silly. The smallest rectangle was the Holy of Holies, and inside of the smallest rectangle was an even smaller box. We talked about it several weeks ago, the Ark of the Covenant. When, when, when the writer of the psalm here tells us, praise him in his sanctuary, everyone who, ever, who would have heard, that, heard this song sung or, 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 or who would have read this song, they would have instantly connected with praise God in that most holy place. They would have instantly connected with, with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, on the Ark of the Covenant, on top of the Ark, was a, was a seat. They called it the mercy seat. And on top of the mercy seat, there were these, these angels, okay? They were golden, they were gilded angels. And the wings of the angels, the angels faced one another, and the wings of the angels came up and they nearly touched. In between them was the mercy seat. And that was where, that was where on earth, the, 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 the manifest presence of God dwelt. It dwelt between, between these angels. It dwelt there on the mercy seat. So when, when the writer of the psalm says, praise him in his sanctuary, everyone's mind would have gone to this spot. It would have been connected to the presence of God. And it says, praise him in his mighty heavens. So praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. And the point here is, is really simple. God should be praised where? Everywhere. On the earth and in the heavens. God should be worshipped everywhere. The beginning part of verse 1 tells us who should be worshipped. God. The Lord. The Lord should be worshipped. We're moving in, 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 in verse 1 here, we're moving on into where should he be worshipped? He should be worshipped everywhere, in his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. But this is also an example in the book of Psalms of something called parallelism. Anyone heard of something called parallelism? Parallelism is actually a, a literary, it's a, it's a literary uh, construct and it's, it's, a, it's a poetic device and it's really used... Uh, in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, it's used all over the Old Testament. And it even shows up sometimes in Jesus' Jesus's teaching. But it's, it's a poetic device, and this is what parallelism is. 
Parallelism is communicating the same idea two different ways. So praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. And this is really interesting, at least to me. And it's, a, I think, a profound point. That, that when, when, the writer of, when the writer of the psalm says, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, he's actually communicating the same thing. What's the same thing? The same thing is this. When we praise God in his sanctuary, gathered together, we're actually entering into the praise that goes on in heaven. There's a connection point. There's a connection point. Um, we'll get to this probably next week, but in Revelation chapter 4, John, John is standing And before him, he sees an open door and a loud voice shouting out of the door, come up here. John takes off. In the vision, after that, he has an encounter in the throne room and he sees sees the throne of God. He sees the elders, the four living creatures, the angels. He hears the sounds. It's thunderous worship. And I don't know if, if you guys have done this or not, but I've read the rest of the book of Revelation and I've looked carefully, and nowhere else in the book does it say that that door was ever closed. So the door to his presence and the door to worship has been opened, but it's never been closed. When we enter into worship, we enter into his presence, and it's not just here. Like when we're sitting here, and we're jamming with the band, and we're beginning to sing to the Lord, I want to tell you something. You're not singing by yourself. The praise doesn't stop at the white ceiling. It actually penetrates. It goes, to, it goes straight up, right off of this planet, right into the heavens, right over to wherever, wherever God is. When you begin to worship, it's not a solitary moment. Even if it's just you at home in the kitchen and the kids are watching Spongebob and you're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, when you begin to turn your heart to God and when you begin to worship Him, whether silently or whether you begin to sing it, it's not a solo thing. You begin to join with heaven. Praise Him in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. It's the one and the same thing. One of the contact points, one of the contact places between heaven and earth is worship. See, see the writer is saying, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens. How many of you guys realize that no one in heaven needs anyone else to tell them to worship God? See, here's the deal. If you see him, you will worship him. If you see him, you will worship him. One of the things that I do when I feel like the fires of worship are beginning to, to, to ebb and burn down in my life is I begin to pray, God, let me see you. I'm telling you, you begin to pray the prayer, God, let me see you. He will answer it. And when he begins to answer it, the fires of worship will reignite in your life because worship begins with seeing him. Because when you see him, you encounter his presence. When you encounter his presence, you encounter his goodness. When you encounter his goodness, I promise you, you can't help but worship. Verse 2. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his acts of power. And praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him for his acts of power. And praise him for his surpassing greatness. So verse 1 is about who should be worshipped and where that person should be worshipped. Who should be worshipped? The Lord. Where should the Lord be worshipped? He should be worshipped everywhere. Verse 2 is why the Lord should be worshipped. Praise him for his acts of power. And praise him for his surpassing greatness. 
Why do we worship? We worship the Lord because, because of who he is and because of what he does. This is also another example of parallelism. The writer is saying one and the same things two different ways. Praise him for his acts of power. Praising for his surpassing greatness. I'd like to say this morning that God's surpassing greatness and his acts of power are one and the same thing. I'd like to say that his nature and his character are perfectly in concert with what he does. If you see what he does, it's a revelation of his nature. And right along with that, you can't have a revelation of his nature without seeing what he does. Because God is active. He's always about something. So to see, to see God's surpassing greatness, to get, a, to get a revelation of his nature, it comes from seeing his acts of power. One of the things I've noticed in scriptures is that the people who experienced God's acts of power tend to be the people who know the Lord's character the best and they tend to be worshipers. You should, you should spend your Sunday afternoon just surveying the scriptures. For people who encountered the power of God, those people tend to be the people who have a real handle on the nature of God and they tend to be worshipers. Raymond, we can put this up. I want to I show you a song from Exodus. This is Exodus chapter 15. And um, this, is, this is literally just as soon, this is as soon as, as, the, as the nation of Israel, young as it was, Pharaoh has been chasing them across the desert. They run through the Red Sea. I mean, I, I mean, this is an unbelievable story. They run through the Red Sea. While they're in the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army comes in with them. And while they get out, the water comes in. Everyone's dead. What's the very next thing that happens? They break out in song. And, and what we're going to read here, this isn't... I want you to realize this. What we're going to read, this is not Bible, okay? It is Bible. Hear what I'm saying. They're not, this isn't, this isn't someone said, well, God's done something crazy, let's write it down and it'll be a Bible. No, God said something amazing and they sang a song, okay? All right, now here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to read with me. We're going to read about 11 verses here. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. Hang, I, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. We can keep going. We're going to go to verse 11. Presumably. I'm going to wait for it because it's good. I hope you don't feel awkward because I don't. (laughs) 
Aha. Verse 7 there. Here we go. You ready? In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who oppressed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood like firm. Deep waters congealed the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue them. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? That's not even the whole song. How many of you guys think that this would make the CCLI top 40 worship songs on Caleb? I love it. This, is, this has nothing to do with Caleb. It's like, it's like the Lord has done something with us. And, and the song that comes out is, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. We had an enemy, he killed them, he killed them with his nostril, they sank to the stone, they're dead. That's a worship song. Uh, here's one of the things that, that we're going to learn from all this, is that, that the things that we've held, traditionally held as worship, way too narrow. Yeah, I, I don't know. I love that song. I sometimes just read that song. Yeah. Back to the point, though, before I get really lost on a rabbit trail, because I, I can feel myself going there. But the point is, people who experience the power of God tend to be the people who have an understanding of His character. Did you guys notice how much of the character of the Lord that was, that was sang in that song? If, if you want to, as homework, go back and read Exodus chapter 15 today. And, and read it not just from an understanding that God has done something miraculously powerful for his beloved people, but read it, from, from the, read it to gain an understanding of his character. Because it's in there. God's, God's character and his power are one and the same. They work in perfect concert. Yeah, God, people who experience the power of God tend to be people who understand his character, and those people tend to be worshipers. I mean, we could look at the life of David. We could look at lots of other people. But I do want to look at one other scripture out of Joshua. Um, this was from um, uh, Rahab. Everybody remember Rahab? We can put this up as well. Um, Rahab was a prostitute, and she was in the city of Jericho. Uh, they send spies in, and um, th- this, is just, this is her report. She's, she's reporting to them, and I want you to, to realize uh, the reason why she's reporting to them, okay? This is Rahab talking to the, to, the, to the Israelite dudes. She says, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen upon us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord is your God, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. See, people, here's the deal. When we experience the power of God, his nature is expressed. And in his nature, people become worshipers. This is a woman who does not know God. She was a pagan, heathen Philistine who worshiped foreign gods. And God's acts of power have done what? Made her a believer.
See, here's the deal. When God acts on our behalf, the natural response should be worship. It should be praise. Anybody here ever been healed? I mean, that's a silly question around here. Like everyone here. I'm not talking about just, like, we love, I mean, we're not against doctors here. If you're sick, you know, go to the doctor. But if you're sick enough to go to the doctor, you ought to get prayer as well. That's just kind of the way we feel about it. But how many of you, how many of you been here, how many of you here have been healed beyond medicines or doctor's attention, but God just intervened in your life? Yeah. See, the power of God gets put on display, and the natural response should be praise. How many of you guys have ever done something really stupid and the Lord just bailed you out? How many of you like did something stupid and the Lord bailed you out and then you went back and did the same stupid thing again? Yes. I can tell you a story. It's so embarrassing. I can't tell you. I won't. It's really embarrassing. Yeah. Anybody in here been bailed out? Yeah, come on. How, how many people in here have been, how, how many of y'all have been delivered from eternal darkness into marvelous light? Come on. Yeah, you know? The correct response for any of that is praise. And this is another reason why, why it's so tremendously important that the church, Little C Church here at the Vineyard and Big C Church, global. This is, this is one of the main reasons why the church should be pursuing the power of God. Because a church that pursues the power of God is actually pursuing the heart of God. Okay? See, you can't divorce his power and his acts from his nature. People say, well, you know, don't, 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 don't seek the giver, not the gifts. Well, I want to tell you something. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. One of the best ways to, to seek the giver is to seek the gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, pursue love and eagerly, di- eagerly desire spiritual gifts. One of the things that the church needs to do is actively pursue the power of God because when the, act, when, the, when the power of God is made manifest among God's people, there is a reason to sing. People need, people need to hear the song. It's one of the words I had. is People need to hear the song. Not only that, but people need to see the song before it was sung. See, here's one of the things I've realized about the power of God in my life. My encounters with the power of God draw me into the God story. The power of God draws people into his story, okay? And when people get drawn into the God story, they get drawn into God. One of the, one of the, one of the main issues with the church is that we're mostly the message people, and the message people are too, le- too easy to ignore because we can just say, well, that was a fable, that was a myth, and that's a story that somebody made up. There's something about the power of God that draws people into the story. So verse 1 is who to worship. 1B is where to worship God everywhere. Verse 2 is why to worship. Worship Him for His acts of power and praise Him for His surpassing greatness. And verse 3 and following... Who can tell me what that's about? How to worship. This is, this is how to worship God. There, there are very few places in the scripture where there is a, here, do it this way. This is one of them. And you should underline it in your Bible because this is a, here, this is how you do it. All right? And I want us to read this together again. 
Let's read verse 3 through verse 6. I don't know why I got onto this read it together thing, but I like it all of a sudden. Verse 3, you all ready? Here we go. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the flute. Praise him with the clash of the cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is how to worship God. How to worship God. How are you supposed to worship God? The first thing you should do is get out a trumpet. No, it's not really that. The, the next thing you should do is get out a harp and a lyre. Jeremy, can you go to your home and get us the harp and the lyre? Thank you. No, here's the point. The point is this. It's really simple. We should employ all means necessary to worship the Lord. We should, we should worship him with trumpets, which are, which are the loudest instrument. We should, we, worship should have volume. You, can you hear me? Worship should have volume. It should penetrate. It should hurt your ears sometimes. Worship should have volume. It should be penetrating. And the trumpet was not only the loudest, but it was the, it was the instrument that assembled the people, and it was an instrument of battle. There, there's something about worship that assembles and readies for battle. We should worship with the trumpet. We should worship with the harp and the lyre. You know what the harp and the lyre is about? The exact opposite. We should worship really quiet. Anybody ever had their ears busted by a harp? <laughs> I haven't. Anybody even in here even know what a lyre is? I don't either. So there we go. But it's a, it's a quiet little stringed instrument. Okay? Here's the deal. Worshiping God should have volume, and there should be a time when it, when it, when it, is, when, when it is quiet and meditative. You know, some of you all are looking for quiet and meditative worship. Probably not going to happen here very often, but it will in a couple weeks on Thursday night when we do the, when we do the communion. You should come then for sure, okay? Otherwise, I'm in favor of volume. It makes me nervous when it's too quiet. We should employ every means necessary to worship the Lord. Here's what the scripture is saying without saying it. The scripture is actually shouting at us, would you please worship the Lord? By all means necessary, all means necessary, would you please worship the Lord? Here's what the scripture is telling us. The scripture is is telling us this morning that the unlimited God of the universe should be worshipped in in unlimited ways. I like it quiet. Great. Come on in. I like it loud. Great. We definitely have a spot for you. The unlimited God of the universe deserves to be worshipped in all kinds, in all varieties, in all manners. He deserves to be worshipped in all kinds, in all varieties, in all manners, until everything that has breath praises the Lord. Until everything that has breath praises the Lord. And that word breath there, that's a really important word in the scripture. That word breath, if you want to, just underline it. Everything that has breath, just underline that little word breath. Because that's the exact same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God picks up the man that he's formed out of the ground and breathes the breath of life into him, exhales the breath of life into him, everything that has experienced the intimate touch and the kiss of life from the Father should worship him. Yeah, see, that word means, it means breath, it means spirit. 
and it means life. And here's a new picture of worship probably for some of you. Worship is actually returning to God that original breath. How many of you know you can't worship God without exhaling? God exhaled into you. You, you, you came about because the breath of God set, set spirit and set life into you. And when we, get, when we get together to worship, worship is the returning of spirit and life to the Lord. It, it's a way to honor him, subtle as it might be. See, here's the deal. God initiated life. He initiated life through breath. And, and not only that, but he initiated your life. And that's the thing I want us to see this morning. He didn't just in- initiate mankind with a capital N, but he, Im- he initiated me. Nobody in here is an accident. Everyone in here is a wonder. And the breath and the life and the spirit of God was exhaled. And when it was, you came about. And that's a wonder. It's actually amazing news. And what's the correct response to amazing news? Praise. Praise and worship. Don't want to come up. Yeah. The breath and the life of God was exhaled on humanity, but not just humanity, but it, it was exhaled on me and you. And that's a wonder. And the appropriate response, the appropriate response is praise. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to return the breath of life to the Lord. That'd be all right? Why don't we stand up? It's better when you stand. Let's respond to the Lord. One of the truly tragic things, one of the truly tragic things that could happen would be, like I said, to live a life that misses the ultimate realities and fails to respond to the Lord. So um, here's what I'd like to suggest, suggest this morning. Why don't, why don't we take worship to that next level? If I can say this without anybody in the room feeling manipulated at all, because I hate manipulation. I hate to be manipulated. I hate it. But I would like to suggest that it would be really good for you if everyone in the room took that next step of worship. You know, if you're, if you're a really quiet kind of person you, and, and most of your worship life is spent watching Josh and Glenn totally thrash and annihilate the guitars, then why not begin to sing? And if, if you're a singer, then why not begin to shout a little bit? And if you're a shouter, then go nutty. <laughs> One of the things that we see in, in Psalm 150 is that we, should, that we should praise God with the trumpet, that we should praise Him with the harp and the lyre. And then it says there, we should praise Him with the cymbals and dancing. And, and here, here's one of the images that, that's, that's communicated in the Psalms. How many of you know you can't play a trumpet without holding it in your hands and using your mouth? All right? How many of you know you can't pluck a harp or a lyre without using your hands? How many of you know you can't hit a cymbal without using your hands? So, so far we've used what? Our hands and our mouth. And then what does the writer of Psalms say? 
right in the middle of this musical thing, he says, you should definitely dance. Why? Because he wants your whole body involved. There's something about when, when your whole body agrees with what your heart believes. If I can say that without being manipulative, there's something about letting your whole heart agree with what your heart believes. Amen? Amen. Let's respond to the Lord. Cheers.